Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here, Tuesday edition of the show, so most of you will be listening to this on New Year's Day, as the Nuggets get set to host the New York Knicks, Emmanuel Moutier making his return to Pepsi Center after that trade last year. We'll preview that game a little on today's show. We're recording this Monday, actually, after practice. I'll post this Monday evening, for uh, so it's technically coming out pretty much on Tuesday. But as we're sitting here recording this, the snow is coming down on a New Year's Eve. And the question I want to propose to you, Christian, is... New Year's Eve, underrated, overrated, or just about right? Well, I'm glad we're starting things off with this. I, I don't even want to talk about basketball on this podcast, really. I'm just here to slander New Year's Eve for the most part. It is overrated, Harrison. And I actually, I feel like everybody is coming around to the, the realization that it's overrated. So maybe in, in most people's eyes, it's properly rated. It's just <laughs> expensive. It I is mean, expensive. I mean... I always wake up with a hangover. Last two years, I've gone to a house party, which isn't the worst way to do it. Like, if you're going to do it, going to a house party isn't so bad. But especially when you're going out like I am tonight, I mean, I did everything I could to, to convince my girlfriend to just stay in, you know, make a little hot chocolate, throw on some Netflix, and she put her foot down. So, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to go out tonight, Harrison. I'm going to have to brave the elements. Here are the three options of what you can do on New Year's Eve. Number one, you can drop... 75 to 100 dollars get really dressed up go to a place where it's got a huge ballroom a dj and an open bar and tables and whatnot do that whole thing that's option one option two is go to a house party where you're in one environment everybody brings their own stuff you don't have to go out you don't have to really mess with ubers going from bar to bar and whatnot you don't have to pay covers that's option number two option number three is just sit home and do nothing so really, there's only two options if you're trying to go out. You either go big, you ball out, go to the open bar type thing, you go to a house party. You can't be bar hopping on New Year's Eve, though. Well, we're going to a late dinner, like 9 p.m. reservations, and they do this midnight toast. So 
it's kind of I guess it's sort of a happy medium between staying home and, and just going nuts. Yeah, but but I'm saying like if you're single, if you're living the single life. Like oh, me, okay. I see. I see. There's really only two options. You can't be bar hopping. You can't be jumping around Denver, going Uber to Uber, cover to cover. It doesn't work like that on New Year's Eve. It takes too, way too much effort. It's too expensive, too. Yeah, in a couple of years when I don't really have to entertain my girl that much anymore, I think what I'm going to do is just lift on New Year's Eve every year yeah. and take like the $400 I pocket and just put it on like one stock. I have heard some horror stories of people going out on New Year's Eve and getting really caught by some of those surge prices. Because what will happen is you'll open that Uber app, you open up Lyft, and then you'll just click through like you do normal. You're not going to see the screen that pops up and says, oh, alert, Uber has a 500% surcharge right now, which is what all these companies will do on New Year's Eve and uh, Halloween and nights like this. They'll surge price it. So you can take a Lyft or Uber a mile and it will cost you a couple hundred bucks. I've heard stories of people getting in Ubers without realizing what the price was going to be. And then looking at that email that comes in the next morning in your inbox and it's saying, yeah, thanks for your ride. Here's a charge of $300 for a 10 minute trip. Well, I'll tell you what, we're bringing our parkas and a spear tonight because if the surcharge is too bad, then we're walking from the Highlands back to Congress Park neighborhood. And I don't care. You might I don't have care. to. You might have to. If you have the champagne toast and you're trying to get out of there at 1230, oh, one. Hey, are you going to be available? I'm a little worried. I'm not going to be available. Okay. No, definitely not for driving. But that's like peak surge pricing territory. I'm worried about you now. We're gonna die, Harrison. We're gonna die. Um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see me on Colfax with a spear, and it's not gonna be pretty. Where are you going tonight? Matchbox. That's that's my guess. No, I told you I'm not bar hopping tonight. That's well, something you can't do on New Year's Eve. I just figure you're going to post up at Matchbox. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Nah, I'm going to be doing the house party thing. Just a, a couple good friends just you know, chilling, a little champagne, little drinks, nothing crazy. We got to work tomorrow. Right. We got to work tomorrow. We got a game tomorrow. So let's talk about this game. The Knicks are here. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier is here. Although he injured his ankle and is technically questionable for this matchup tomorrow. It's the first time he's played here. In Denver since that trade last year, he's had a decent season. He's been scoring the ball well. He's been shooting it okay. He's had a couple big-time scoring outings. Are you buying it at all? Are you buying that maybe a change of scenery could have been a good thing for him in the long run? Uh, I mean, I'm buying that a change of scenery probably did him a a little bit of good. It it was pretty clear by the end of last year that it it was just not going to work out in Denver. I mean... Moutier, there was a case to be made that he was the worst rotation player in, in basketball last year. So a change of scenery was definitely the right choice for, for all parties involved there. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm skeptical that he's like even an, an average player in the, in the long term. Um, you know, I, I hope everything works out for him. Um, you know, six foot five point guard who's athletic as he is. I think he's got some pretty good vision. There are some interesting skills there, but I just don't see it, man. I mean, there's there's just a, a lot of body of work before he came to New York that he's just not going to be a good NBA player. He's still really young. He's still 22. He's still got the measurables. He's still six foot five. <laughs> he's still got an NBA body, NBA athleticism, I think. 
He's had some big-time scoring outings, like I said. Had 32 points in a game against the Hawks a couple weeks back. Had 34 points on 14-21 shooting. Eight assists in that game, too, against Charlotte back in the middle of December. I'd say I'm 30-70, whether he's going to turn into a really capable NBA rotation player. 30% saying he can, 70% saying he's probably not going to. The change of scenery definitely did him good. It wasn't going to work out in Denver. That's what became really apparent by the time Nuggets had to trade him. Jamal Murray had emerged. Gary Harris had obviously emerged in the other spot in the Nuggets backcourt, which meant Jamal Murray was going to be this team's point guard. You had Will Barton here. And you know, Moutier started really for this team for most of two seasons. And you know it, it just... It just didn't work out in the end. A change of scenery was a good thing. So I'm at 30-70 with him. Am I going to rule out that he could turn into an NBA rotation player one day? No, because he's just 22, and he's six foot five, and he was taken that high in the draft for a reason. Yeah, and on one hand, I do kind of feel bad for Emmanuel Moutier because he was kind of propped up. I don't want to use the word savior, but... No, you can use that word because yeah, savior. That's, that's what... He was marketed as. Yeah, I mean, he was—he's just a 19-year-old kid when he came here. The Denver Nuggets were at, I mean, just a, just a really low point. It was—it was not a great point in, in this franchise's history. They've—they've they've come thousands of miles since then. But you got to have somebody to put on the billboards, and Emmanuel Mudiay was that guy. There was a lot of pressure on him, I think, to be the guy, and it just didn't work out for him. So I, I'm happy he got a fresh start somewhere, but. I mean, just imagine having to deal with that pressure and expectation when you're that young. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine being 19 years old should be your second year in college, really. And Emmanuel Moody didn't even go to college. He went to China overseas for a year. I can't even imagine the pressures that would be on your shoulders there to be the face of the franchise. He was put on billboards. He was on the front page of the media guide. He was talking with the media at practice every day, before games, after games. He had a lot on his shoulders. And in a sense, I think it was kind of impressive how he took it in stride, uh, just how he carried himself and whatnot. But it just didn't translate to on the court. Yeah, and one of the what-ifs I've got is, what if he'd just gone to SMU and played under Larry Brown for a season? I mean, and Larry Brown just really drilled into him how to play point guard and the basics of that position you know, I think Moutier went to China to, to make some extra money um, for his family. That's that's what he said a couple of times. I can't fault a guy at all for doing that, but just from a, a basketball, strictly basketball standpoint, I wonder if he would have been a better player if he'd had that one year under Larry Brown. Yeah, it's an interesting question for sure. We've got some audio from Michael Malone talking about Emmanuel Moutier and the pressure that was on him from an early time in Denver when he was drafted here, obviously replacing Ty Lawson. I want to play that on the other side this break. So let's hit this commercial right now, and we'll come back and talk some more about Moutier and the Knicks coming in here and also play some audio from practice today from Mike Malone and Jamal Murray, who spoke about Emmanuel Moutier too. We'll be right back. 
This podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right, as many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spano's here and he's gonna tell us a little bit about it. Yeah guys, this year alone, I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies games, Rapids games, Buffs games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows, so it's literally changed my life. (laughs) If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right, all the events you can handle for less than $20 for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego. I want to get to that audio from practice today. First from Michael Malone, and then we'll react to that. And then I'll play some from Jamal Murray speaking about Emmanuel Moutier and uh, the player he was in Denver and what he's kind of showing in New York here. So let's get to what Michael Malone said at practice today right now. You know, uh, Emmanuel's played local then. You know, he's playing with confidence. He's putting up big numbers. He's scoring uh, at a career best, I believe, right now. Um, obviously, they are a young team. They're trying to find themselves. And Fizz is trying a lot of different players to see who they are as they continue to, uh, to move forward. But uh, I'm happy for Emmanuel. Uh, obviously, he got to a situation here where you know, uh, it became apparent that Jamal was going to be a starting point guard moving forward. Uh, and I think one thing I give Tim Conley credit for, uh, you know, we care about our players and we want to do the right by Emmanuel. And sending him to New York, we could have a chance to be a starting point guard on a young team. It's been really good for him and uh, I'm happy for him and I hope he's enjoying it. Obviously, there was a lot on his plate drafted seventh overall only like 18 years old at the time and then kind of being thrust right into that role. What, what did you think of just the way that he, he handled that as, as time went on? Well, he, I think as time went on, he handled it better and better. Uh, a lot was thrust on his plate. You know, coming in after Ty Lawson, we take him number seven, we trade Ty. He's our starter. Um, probably in hindsight, maybe a little bit too much. Uh, and then you couple with you know the expectations on our team for such a young team. I mean, that's what I find comical at times. The expectations on that group, being the second youngest in the NBA, are not really uh, commensurate with you know who we are. But that's life, and we, we, we fully accept those challenges. But uh, Emmanuel's biggest challenge early on was finding his voice. You know, he, he, he was by nature he's a very quiet young man. But what I liked is uh, you know the time he was here in the two and a half years he got more and more comfortable finding his voice on the court in the locker room as a point guard uh, and as well as my relationship with him and our ability to communicate every day Um, so he's matured and very many players have to struggle at first and change teams to finally figure things out and I think you can see that with Emmanuel Uh, high character kid loves the game and he's uh, he's with the team right now that's put him in a position to go out there and have success every night uh, which is good for him so a couple interesting things there for Michael Malone, I thought. The first is you forget that this team had Ty Lawson when they drafted Emmanuel Moutier, right? I mean, it was pretty obvious from what I can remember. You could see the writing on the wall. I don't think the Nuggets wanted to rebuild themselves into what Tim Connolly envisioned they would be. 
with Ty Lawson at point guard. I think they saw Moody as a guy that could be a franchise cornerstone, and obviously he was a natural point guard. It was going to be tough for those two guys to be here together, and then ultimately the Nuggets did trade Lawson shortly after drafting Moody. But you forget that Denver had this guy in Ty Lawson who he was like a fringe all-star point guard for a couple of his better seasons here in Denver, and replacing that, that's tough for a 19-year-old kid. So I agree with Michael Malone there. There was probably way too much pressure on him and this team to perform three, four years ago. Three years ago when Emmanuel Moudier was here. It was probably expectations that were a bit too high. And the other thing I thought was interesting that Michael Malone said there, how the Nuggets like to do right by their players, even if they're trading them away. So Denver was looking to deal Moutier at that deadline. They were looking to deal him to a place where he had an opportunity to play. I mean, obviously you're looking to get as much as you can for your players, but you also want to keep in mind, this is how the Nuggets were apparently thinking, hey, we want to give this guy a chance to succeed. And sending him to a team like the Knicks, who didn't have their sights on contending for the next couple years, was clearly a place where Moutier could start some games, could play a lot of minutes for a Knicks team that was probably going to be lottery bound for the next few years. And so I guess Denver did right by Moody. There couldn't be a lot of better situations for him, I don't think, than in New York right now with David Fisdale on a team that's not exactly worried about winning. Yeah, it was a a great landing spot for uh, Emmanuel Moody. Fizz seems like he has a great relationship with Emmanuel I saw they're hanging out a bunch during the summer, um, going to games and stuff like that. You know, Fizz seems like, just from afar, he seems like a, a pretty good coach to kind of rebuild confidence. I, right. I think that was kind of the main thing with Moody is I think his confidence was a little bit shot by the end here in Denver. Um, I mean, Jameer Nelson kind of overtook him as, as a starting point guard. Then it became clear that Jamal Murray was going to be the guy at that position for years to come. So New York... Pretty good landing spot, and you're right. The, the Nuggets do take good care of their players, even when it doesn't work out. You can look at the Moutier thing. You can look at the Gallo situation. I mean, Gallo got paid in L.A. He got to go it was to a, a sign-and-trade. Yeah. The Nuggets that, that Nuggets executed a sign-and-trade to help Daniil Gallinari get to L.A. Yeah. I mean, they take great care of their players. Um, I think that that's one thing that Tim and his staff – um, have really made an emphasis on they they want it to be known that if you come to Denver then you're going to get taken care of it's it's sort of like Oklahoma City in a way okay yeah so the Knicks have lost 12 of 13 <laughs> they're not exactly coming into Pepsi Center here with a whole lot of momentum Emmanuel Moutier over this stretch like I mentioned he's looked good I'm not ready to sit here and say oh you know he's Playing regularly, he's starting at point guard for the Knicks. He's averaging around 15 points per game over the last month or so. He's a starting caliber point guard or even a adequate role player in today's NBA. I'm not there yet. I've got to see it more. And I've also got to see it in an environment where a team's trying to win games because we've <laughs> seen that time and time again. You can put up great stats on a bad team, right? Yep. But it changes a bit when you're actually trying to win games. So I don't know if we're going to be really able to evaluate him in a winning setting for a couple of years in New York, maybe unless the Knicks get Kevin Durant next summer, but then even I'm not sure what the future would mean for Moody at that point. 
Yeah, I mean, Moody is shooting the ball a lot better from the field than he has it in any season prior to this one. If you go look at the splits, um, he's not really shooting the ball that much better at the rim. That was kind of an issue for him in Denver. He wasn't a great finisher at the rim, especially for someone with his size, with his athleticism. He's really hitting from mid-range right now, which is kind of weird. When he was in Denver, you know, I was I kind of believe that he should have cut a lot of those mid-range shots out of his game. Just just try to live at the rim or, or from three. I thought a lot of those like fallaways from like nine feet were, were pretty ill-advised, but those mid-range shots are going down for him right now. Um, and you know, I think another thing for him too is is defense. Um, a lot of Nuggets were were not very good defenders last year or the year before, but Emmanuel really really struggled on the defensive end and. You know, I think he has some of the physical tools to defend at an okay level, at least. My theory on why he always took those mid-range shots were just that was the easiest type of shot for him to get off, right? At six foot five, he was taller than most of the point guards he was going up against. He was longer. He could just elevate over those guys in the lane and get those types of shots off. Those were not high percentage shots, and he missed a lot more of them than he made. But my theory was always that's just the easiest type of shot for him to get off. Apparently now he's hitting more of them. He's not hitting from three this year. If you remember, that was one of the funniest or one of the oddest parts of his season from last year when he started off the season in Denver, played the first 42 games with Nuggets and then was traded at the deadline. He actually shot 37% from three over those 42 games. That was by far the best rate he's hit from three in his career. His rookie year, he shot 32% from three. His sophomore year, he shot about the same. Then he jumped up to 37.3% from three last year in the first part of the season in Denver. He's back down at 32% from three this year in New York. So the three-point shot isn't quite there. But yeah, I hope it works out for him. Let's hit this second break real quick. I've got some audio from practice today from Jamal Murray. Also talking about Emmanuel Moutier, you're going to want to stick around and hear that. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go, Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here. Let's play some audio real quick from practice today from Jamal Murray. He was Emmanuel Moutier's teammate for a couple years here in Denver. Here's what he had to say about the former Nuggets point guard today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a new chapter for him, obviously, whenever he gets traded. So uh, he's in a great city, a uh, great team, great organization, and uh, you know, giving a chance to put up points and you know, run a team there. So uh, it's also all good, it's all love, and it's uh, been. You guys, obviously, you know, being around him all the time, you kind of had that feeling that once he once he got the opportunity in himself, so going to be able to, to perform like that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, you see him practice when I was here. The reason why you know they didn't quit him at that point, but you know we actually saw some somebody him. And, uh, when he was doing his thing in New York, uh, a few big games. Uh, I watched a couple, so uh, you know we can keep. I still keep in touch with what he's doing, and, and um, he's doing good. What do you remember about his games, facing him in practice, and what those battles were kind of like? Uh, what do you remember? <laughs> I don't remember. We all were here. I don't remember. <laughs> I wasn't in practice. <laughs> um, I mean, well, I guess it's gets to gets to the shot close. I guess the rim. Not just him tomorrow, they have a good team, but the reason why you know, he's able to do so much is you know, Ennis Cam seeing good screens, uh, Tim Hardway is facing the foil, so it's, it's a multiple, multiple aspects of the game that's you know, allowing him to do his thing. Some good thoughts from Jamal Murray there. I like how he said he still keeps in touch with him and whatnot, checking up and seeing how he's doing. So on the injury front, 
not sure of what the status is for Gary Harrison, Will Barton will be for this next game. I'm fairly certain Will Barton's going to remain out. Gary Harris, there could be a shot he plays. Michael Mullen said at practice today that he hopes Gary Harris is back in the next couple of days. He was a limited participant on Monday. Do you think Gary plays against the Knicks? I, I feel like if you're going to come back, the Knicks would be a good team to come back against, right? Well, it depends how hard you went out last night. Oh, man. <laughs> you had to go there, Christian. You had to go there. They've got shoot-around Tuesday morning, bright and early. Well... Uh, whenever I was in high school, my coach instituted a rule. There was uh, 6.30 a.m. practice on New Year's Day. 6.30 a.m.? Yep. Make what sure do you think would happen if Jim Boylan or NBA <laughs> coach tried to institute that policy? Seems uh, like a Jim Boylan thing to do. Oh, it was a very Jim Boylan move. Uh, one of my buddies, none of uh, we were kind of nerds. Like Only one of my buddies on the team was like really cool. So he went out to like the older kids' party got sloshed and like we were running like 16s the next day and he was just dying you could smell the booze on him that was always one of the worst practices in high school I, not like after new year's eve but after a thanksgiving break or after a winter break those were always oh. the worst practices in high school terrible terrible but assuming gary harris doesn't go too hard in the paint then yeah the the next game will, will probably be a good one to return on and when gary does get back He's probably going to come off the bench, I would assume, for a game, just like Paul Millsap came off the bench in Phoenix. And Michael Malone said today that how he's going to determine when Paul Millsap goes back into the starting lineup will just be dependent on when he finds his rhythm. Does that mean tomorrow? I'm not sure. I would assume you just throw him back in there, and uh, especially against a team like the Knicks, who you should beat fairly easily. You can kind of get him back into the starting lineup, let him take his bumps along the way, get him used to playing alongside those starters again, and then have some more cohesion for these next couple weeks. At least that's what I would do. I wasn't able to attend practice today. Was your follow-up question, did he look like he had his rhythm today? (laughs) I don't think there was a follow-up question to that. That was the last question of the media session. Yeah, I mean, I would probably guess Paul is back in there, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they really want to ease him, ease him back into the starting lineup. He looked, he looked fine in Phoenix. Right. It's funny because last year when he was out for those forty-four games, he could still get his conditioning work in. He could still say stay in relatively decent shape because he had the wrist injury. But with a broken toe, it's not like you can get in conditioning work during practice on the side or in the weight room on yeah. like a treadmill. You can't be running. So. Uh, you got to think it's going to take him a little bit to work back into shape. And look, the Nuggets aren't really practicing these days. It's not like they're going five-on-five five scrimmages at practice. They're taking it light. They can't really afford to have somebody get injured during practice and then be right back where they started, you know. So the only way he's really going to find his rhythm is in a game. Yeah, 14 minutes against the Suns. That's that's a pretty good tune-up. That's that's a great tune-up game. Nice little tune-up. He'll probably, I don't know, he'll probably play somewhere in the 20s next game if yeah. Gary, against the Knicks if I had to guess. Yeah, I would guess the 20s as well. All right, I think that's all we got for today. Short show, but wanted to get you guys ready for this matchup with the Knicks on Tuesday night, New Year's Day. And with that, we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday, recapping the Nuggets and Knicks game. Talk with you then. What if we told you that whiskey and vodka weren't just for drinking? It's true. Jason and Erica, owners of Distilled Bath & Body, created pit liquor. 
You heard me right, pit liquor. It's an all natural deodorant that actually works. Ramona found pit liquor online and now says she's a customer of theirs for life. Pit liquor is wonderful. They save my underarms. No more sweaty, itchy underarms for me. So I definitely love them and will be a customer as long as it keeps the smell, I guess, away. Pit liquor has no harmful chemicals or toxins and doesn't have any ingredients you wouldn't find in grandma's kitchen. I came across pit liquor online on Instagram. I saw an ad advertising no baking soda used in their product. So the difference between pit liquor and other natural deodorant is I do not stink. <laughs> I tried several, several different brands and either I end up with an itchy rash or it doesn't last. But pit liquor for me lasts all day. Pit liquor's risk-free guarantee should put your mind at ease. Head to pitlicker.com and use the promo code number one fan to save 11% and have it shipped straight to your home. That's hashtag one fan.